You're listening to The Local Maximum, Episode 8. Yeah, well, sometimes it helps to be out of touch a little bit because when you're in touch, you get stuck in your, uh, shall we say, local maximum. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to tie up a lot of loose ends Dennis Crowley brought a lot of new people into the fold. We had our biggest day ever last week, so thank you for that. I'm sure it'll be a while before we top it, but top it we will. A few things to go over today. First off, at the end, we're going to answer listener questions and give you a podcast recommendation. This is a new thing that I'm trying, kind of a fun way we can engage together, make this medium into something that's more than a one-way channel. So check it out and also email me at localmaxradio at gmail.com and you, yes, you can get involved as well. I am going to talk to Aaron a little bit, apologize for the sound in the first 10 minutes, but uh, we got that cleared up in the rest of the program. So just hang tight. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, the substitution puzzle that I solved and we're going to uh, be going into a uh, to post game my interview with Dennis Crowley. I thought that interview was very interesting. Yeah, he said a lot of things that he has said all along, plus some new stuff. Uh, now I want to take have a more devil's advocate conversation about Dennis's entrepreneurship message. Because like I said, it sounds so simple. Like, man, give it a shot. Because if you don't, no one else will. But there's so much resistance to that within all of us And I like crazy ideas. I like, quote, bad ideas. That's why I named the show The Local Maximum. Sometimes uh, you need a seemingly bad idea to get to a better place. But jumping off of that cliff is a leap of faith. And I have trouble doing it sometimes. I would even bet that Dennis has trouble doing it sometimes, uh, even though that's his thing. So I want to explore some of this further with my good friend Aaron, see if we can understand this better. So did you listen to my interview with Dennis last week? I did, in fact. I am. It's very like inspiring, some of the things that he says, particularly about, you know, trying out your ideas. Um, It's not uncontroversial. and I don't want to, you know, I'm totally on board with what he said. But actually, let me let me share the quote first that I talked about, because I did tell him that I had a quote from 2011. Um, And this is the quote. And he said something very similar. This is the one you've been using in your presentations without authorization. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I think I used it in a presentation that I uh, gave to you once. Uh, He said, don't let people tell you that your ideas can't work. Don't listen to the haters. There's always haters. Don't listen to the people who want to shoot down your ideas. If you're passionate about something, if you have an idea that no one's done yet, teach yourself that those ideas don't work and then iterate on top of them. But don't let other people push you around in that way. And I kind of liked the way he said it there. And I'm totally on board. Uh, but it is, it does make you think a lot. You know, for example, I was watching Shark Tank the other day and there are some really dumb ideas out there. <laughs> the, I, I don't, this might, might've been a rerun. I don't know. I saw one where this guy had a, um, a like potty training thing. And I don't know if you saw that one. Parents who are, are desperately struggling with a toddler are a sucker audience. Cause at some point you will throw money at almost anything. If someone tells you it will solve the problem. Well, he had this thing where it, it, the toilet seat, you had to replace your toilet seat with a special toilet seat, and then it kind of flipped up to reveal a smaller toilet seat. And it's and they're like, that lid is going to pinch your baby. 
and there's it's gonna get dirty in that hinge in there. And it's just like, and, and, and the shark said it was a terrible idea. And I have to agree. I mean, I wouldn't tell that guy, you know, try your idea. And uh, I might be like, no, no, I'm, I'm the hater in this case, you know. There's a risk of getting caught in the local maximum there where, yes, you can iterate and improve your idea. But if it's a fundamentally bad idea, you can only, uh, what's the expression? You can only polish a turd so much. Uh, and, right. and it's it's still a turd. It, it's a shiny turd now, but still a turd. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, if, if you have a, a fundamentally bad idea, you can improve it, but will that get you to the point where it's a good enough idea that people actually start to buy into it? Right, right. But I think Dennis's point is like, convince yourself, convince yourself it's a bad idea. Don't just listen to somebody else. And I think there's a lot of value in that because if you don't manage to convince yourself, then you'll always have second thoughts or, or doubts and potentially regrets that, well, maybe I was wrong to have given up on that. But yeah. if you follow it through and and confirm whatever, you know, accusations or suspicions or disprove them, then you'll maybe not know for sure because a uh, few things in life are 100%, but you'll have a much, much higher confidence in whatever path you end up going down. And also, like, I think the ideas that we think of as bad ideas are the ones that I mentioned. They're kind of like gimmicky and... You know, when I think uh, my idea is too bad, it's, I'm not thinking that it's a gimmick. I'm thinking, oh, it's too complicated. People aren't going to get it or it's too far ahead technologically. It might be too early. And so I feel like that's a different story. And Dennis might be talking to an audience that has more sophisticated ideas like that, you know, when he goes to technology conferences and business schools and things like that. And those are the people I definitely, you know, don't want shot down because those are the people that are going to you know, invent things that are game changers. Yeah, I think that's perhaps a much more valuable piece of advice. And it's it's tough to tell in the moment whether something is, you know, a game changer or a paradigm shift. But uh, it's much easier to come up with derivative uh, ideas that are crappy and don't deserve to, to be, uh, to, to have that extra effort invested in them. Um, and, and an example I'll throw out is, Yes, blockchain is an innovative technology, but there are so many things being pitched today that somehow tangentially involve blockchain that make very little sense. And, and it's may, maybe they're not purely tagging blockchain onto it because they think it'll create buzz, but they're, they're ideas that really don't make much sense uh, as far as you can throw them. Right, but I think it's easy for the someone, someone with a great blockchain idea to get discouraged when they see, you know, all these other ideas being floated out there and they're like, how am I going to differentiate mine from these other ones, even though I, I think I'm onto something here, but uh, these other guys are just kind of putting blockchain on whatever, uh, you know, they're, they're polishing a turd, so to speak. And it's a tough thing to navigate, but I think you're always navigating that. It's, it's easy to get lost in the sea. I know in, yeah. in like the app world, they sometimes refer to it as, as shovelware which is just trying to push out the latest gimmicky thing and get it in front of people. And if you push out enough of that, a small group of people will buy it. And because you invested so little in producing it, then it'll pay off. But that it pollutes the marketplace to such an extent that it makes it very difficult for a good independent idea to rise above all the yeah, trash yeah. floating out there. I mean, that's, that's why you have to invest in communication. And how do you rise above when your idea really is better? And that's, 
you know, I mean, hey, that's one of the reasons I'm starting this podcast is I want I want to have, you know, experience, build an audience, you know, where we have some shared ideas and shared uh, opinions, maybe opinions, the wrong word, a variety of opinions in this audience, but, uh, you know, kind of a, a shared uh, experience. And we can kind of, you know, I can kind of go through guests that I think are very reliable. Christian Lunkovist, who I had on, for example, he's in the blockchain space. You know, he's someone who I've known, who I know is like very reliable and, you know, really knows his stuff. And like, I kind of trust that, you know, he could tell uh, the good stuff from the bad very, uh, very easily. And so... Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I, just, <laughs> you know, I guess I was just pointing out that this podcast is also helpful. And also, this podcast is a, is a product of kind of putting uh, Dennis's mantra into action, where one of the things you, you find out when you do a podcast is once you do one, you find that you don't know anyone with a podcast until you start doing a podcast. Then everybody you know all of a sudden has a podcast, and uh, there are a hundred of them that are just like yours. And but you know what? I'm totally cool with that. Um, that's fine. In fact, I hope that people, you know, learn from mine. I'll learn from theirs. Cross promote. I'll have you on your show. You'll have me on on on. I'll have, I'll I'll come to your show, <laughs> and you'll come to my show. All that stuff. I'm I'm very happy with. And I found some podcasts through this that are very good. And then there's a lot of crap out there. There always is. There's always a sea of crap. Well, and I think the podcast medium particularly lends itself to kind of rapid prototyping almost that if you're doing it right in my mind you're you're putting out uh, you know, an episode you're seeing what works and then you're trying to improve on that and while you may have spent a fair amount of time planning and preparing before you recorded that first episode you didn't record it and then edit it and then re-record it and then piece it all together and and spend you know weeks and weeks editing it you you push something out because you thought it was decent and, and look for ways that you could improve that the next time around. And one thing I like about this, if I, if I bomb one week, then it's like, and I haven't bombed yet, I don't think, but if I bomb one week, then there's, there's always another week. Or, you know, last week was a particularly big week, and so, you know, now I have some rest and relaxation for a few weeks before we get another big name up here. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely feel like this is putting... Um, putting those ideas into action. And I'd like to put those ideas into action on a larger scale. You know, I've had, I've brought ideas to you a lot. It's, we should do a whole show on like how to get good ideas. I think that's a tough one because the, the last time I came to you excited with an idea and we're not going to get into that particular one. I had been away for two and a half weeks in Africa, right? And this is like right at the end of the two and a half weeks I spent, I had, you know, seen the fishing village in Benin. I had I had been to the beaches of, of Togo and to the witch doctor there. And I spent like a week in Ghana, uh, you know, helping helping this guy figure out, you know, how he could sell more shirts. And, uh, you know, it was on the bus ride back. I was sitting on this like this Chinese bus uh, on the I, I, it's, a, it's a Chinese made bus. It was like, you know, it, it was it was just our tour group in it. But it was a Chinese made bus because it had like, you know, all the warnings and instructions on the side were all in Chinese, you could tell. Um, but, uh, you know, sitting in this bus, you know, uh, looking at the at the landscape, heading towards uh, the, the airport in Accra. And that's when I got out my notebook and I'm like, oh, I'm going to take these ideas that I've been having for five years and kind of um, put it all in one spot. And then I got really excited about it. And then I got home and I was like, uh, this is, I don't know if people are going to get this. 
you know, <laughs> but you know, I feel like being away totally out of context for two and a half weeks really helps. And I don't get to do that very often enough. You know, I've been working straight for seven years. Uh, that was, I think, the longest break that I ever took. Yeah, so I, I think that gave you some interesting perspective, um, but it's it's always tough to, to know whether that that kind of inspiration is, is real or if it's just you've, you've been out of touch. Yeah, well, sometimes it helps to be out of touch a little bit because when you're in touch, you just don't, you get stuck in the same patterns. You get stuck in your, uh, shall we say, local maximum. <laughs> yeah, I, so on the one hand... I'm getting a lot of, I'm getting a lot of mileage on the, the show name. It certainly Much are. more than I expected, yeah. There's, there's the saying that, uh, was it, I, ideas are cheap uh, and, and actually accomplishing something is expensive because you, you always seem to run into people who are like, well, I, I'm an idea man and I, I've got this great idea. Oh, but, I hate those guys. But they invariably have never actually taken an idea and done something with it. Um, I'm the idea guy. You're the work guy. Yeah. Split 50-50? <laughs> but, but on the flip side, I, I very rarely feel that I personally have, you know, had a, a moment of inspiration and come up with, oh, that is a brilliant idea. Well, I mean, let's be honest, if I'd come up with multiple million dollar ideas in my life, I would be a multimillionaire and, and I am not. Uh, yeah, but I don't think I don't think Dennis is talking about his multi-million idea. I mean, really, you know, his own his Foursquare was, but like a lot of the ones he did before that, uh, you know, they were good ideas, but they were not multi-million ideas. You know, and so I don't think I don't think what he's saying has to be a multi-million idea. I'm pretty Fair sure enough, this podcast yeah. is not going to be a multi-million dollar idea. Well, don't sell um, yourself short. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, uh, yeah, well. We will uh, see. You're, you're you're hired full as a full time. Um, <laughs> you're hired as a full time guest with a, a full salary and benefits. If this becomes a multi million dollar podcast, I, I've that. got my letter. Although of now you're going to play this. <laughs> you're going to play this in the future. Right, one other thing that uh, one other thing that I I point to people when I when I use this quote is that you might you know. I think a lot of people are saying, well, I'm not really in a position to execute right now. And that's that could be true. I don't want to tell people, you know, oh, you know, nonsense. Of course you can. Eh, sometimes, you know, sometimes their life gets in the way. And so what you want to do is what I tell people is that doesn't mean that you can't work towards it. You know, you can work towards saving up. Uh, you know, you can work towards, you know, you could say, hey, here's where I am in my life now. Here are my values. I have, a, I have an idea that I want to execute on. When can I make time to build a prototype? It's okay to have patience and it's okay to, it's okay to kind of wait. It's okay to kind of... Well, and it depends um, on the type of idea, so it depend, too. It depends on the situation, yeah. Because yeah. they're... they're I, I think we've become but a little I, bit But what I don't spoiled. want to tell people... Yeah, what I don't want people to think is like it's only for, you know... Oh, it's easy, it's easy for someone to do it if you, uh, you know, are not working, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, or if you're like a student and you've got to work part time, you know, how do I do it? Well, there are, there are lots of people who do make time uh, for it, but you know, I I tell people it's okay if you feel like you can't make time right now. Um, You could always think about working towards it. I don't want them to think it's like only a special class of people that can do it. Yeah, agreed. And and I think uh, 
we're a little spoiled in this this modern tech world that it is possible to have a great idea and in a very short period of time turn that around into a business and 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 build it up into a you know a product but traditionally very few things move at that pace there there have been great innovations which I, well, perhaps from the outside, they look like it, it happened quickly, but they are a lifetime of work from, from the individual who came up with the idea to get from that first idea to when it's a viable concern in the eyes of the rest of the world. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, yeah, there's very few things that, uh, that come out of nowhere. There's a lot of things that seem to come out of nowhere, but, but they never do. Well, yeah, there's, there's an expression, um, and... I, I have no idea who this should be attributed to, but that uh, you know something was an overnight success twenty years in the making. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that too. Or this is a sprint, not a. This is a sprint, not a marathon. This is a marathon, not a sprint. That's the one that I keep hearing all the time. All right. So um, I don't know if there's anything else on this, and let's shift gears to your last puzzle. Yes. Yes. The the elusive short one. Right. Call me Ishmael. Am I right? That is correct. I, right. I really had to bite my tongue because I wanted to drop the hint that you've already decrypted it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and we'll talk about that in a second. So the code as given to me, let me read this out, was B-Y-P-P-C-V-A-C-M-Z-Q-V-Y-A-P. Beep, kva, kmz, kv, yap. That was, the, uh, that was the, the message that I got. It's 15 characters in length, nine distinct characters. And, uh, you know, you gave me this as a list of puzzles to solve where you kind of, uh, you know, substitute each letter for a different letter and you get a, a message that came out. And so this one was really hard because it was so short. And so I wrote code and we talked about this in episode four, I believe. Um, and I will link to that. Um, so if you want to hear more about this, uh, go to episode four. But, you know, m- my code was really good at picking out the large ones. And the small ones were, this small one in particular, uh, was very difficult. So I had to come up with, like, kind of a different way to, to solve it. But ultimately, I was able to solve it with a little bit more effort. I guess I'm surprised that the, well, given our discussion when you went into a little bit more detail about how your your code and your algorithm worked, I'm less surprised that you had to take this this kind of different approach and that it was that tricky. Initially, I would have thought that, well, you just let it let it run longer and eventually the, the right answer will pop out. But uh, from from what you've told me, it was it was not that simple. You had to had to make kind of some significant changes in your approach. Right, right. So, I mean, just looking at it, you know, personally, the, the double P was a clue. So I, initially I thought it was like starting with hello, because in a lot of things that I was I was trying out, I started with hello world or something, but that wasn't working. I was trying it, you know, by hand. And then I realized, okay, there are less characters here, right? There's only nine distinct characters, and usually there's 26. And if you wanted to brute force it with 26 characters, we did that whole 20, 20, actually 27 with the space, 27 factorial, and we came up with the amount of time it would take to try every one, and it was like more than the entire, you know, uh, age of the universe, so <laughs> impossible. Now, this with nine distinct characters uh, is actually more reasonable, but it is still, it, it would basically, I, I think I calculated on the back of a, you know, I, I just did a back of the hand calculation as it was going. It would take 40 days running on my computer. 
So I don't want to do that. We do do calculations that are that complicated, like at work, where it goes out to many different computers and the clusters and it combines the results. But I ain't doing that. So I'm not paying Amazon <laughs> Web Services for this kind of thing. Um, and then another problem that was the case was that we have these language models that says, okay, uh, this text is more likely than that text, and this text is more likely than that text. When you have a long text, if you have one letter that's flipped, then it's going to screw up a bunch of words, and it's going to see, oh, you know, this is not the right answer because some of these words aren't in my dictionary. But when you have such a short one, you know, there are so many, if you flip a letter, it might still be a word. And so, as it turned out, and actually Ishmael is not in the dictionary, uh, because it's not in my training set. So um, what, what, ha what, what I discovered was um, that the ones that it was finding, even when it ran a little bit, actually had a lower entropy than what the answer turned out to be, which means that my language, the language model I have in my head, my knowledge of English, is much better than the language model that I programmed in the computer, understandably, which is just kind of a, a dictionary of words. Um, and and like a you know an engram model of letters, so it kind of knows which letters are more likely. Like for the words it hasn't seen, it knows what letters go after others. But Ishmael might be a tough one in, from from that perspective too. Um, but you know, well, it, see, it, there's your problem. If you yeah. f fed it more ancient Hebrew texts, that would be much more likely to have been in your dictionary. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So that that would definitely have helped. Um, but then also, if you think about the, uh, you know, my, um, my mind's language model, right? It's not just knowledge of English. It's knowledge that, you know, call me Ishmael is the first phrase in Moby Dick, and it's somewhat famous, so I know that. I also saw that you used a lot of, you know, literary references in your other codes. So all of that kind of affects the language model for this that I have in my brain that uh, wouldn't have been encoded into the computer. Yeah, you, you, you were primed such that if you did see that pop out of a list, it, it would be very clear to you that that is a highly likely solution. Right, right. E and even it, if it were it, next it, to other, uh, other solutions which had legitimate words, uh, that, that one would rank above it in in your ranking, even if the algorithm didn't weight that more heavily. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, like I said, though, yeah, okay, um, but to follow up with this, uh, you know, so that's kind of, there's something called like the power of suggestion, I think, like if you're kind of hear a phrase earlier, then you might consider it more, or what was it, people use it in negotiations, like if you can kind of get the person thinking about a certain number, then they'll sort of end up around there. And so this kind of reminded me of that. And I was like, well, you know, the power of suggestion probably helps us a lot more than it hurts because it enables us to do things that, you know, computers wouldn't ever think of. Or I wouldn't say ever, but like simple computer programs like the one I wrote um, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't ever think to yeah, use so recent text. I'm, I'm venturing into dangerous territory because I am not an evolutionary biologist. It. However, uh, one would presume that at some point, uh, susceptibility to the power of suggestion uh, proved itself to be a evolutionary, evolutionarily beneficial uh, trait. Uh, otherwise, it would not not have stuck around. Um, oh yeah, I can see how that 
it happens too. Like but, you, but like a lot of human traits, uh, it it may be past its prime, and it may be more of a detriment than a benefit now. Uh, but, right, but that's right. a whole other discussion. You, but I, I actually think it's I actually think it's not. I actually think, um, and, and I, I see what you're saying. There are a lot of things that are. For example, like you know. Uh, it's uh, you know eat all you can was probably really good you know back in the in the caveman days when we uh, you know couldn't uh, you know it's probably a good idea to to eat eat as much as you can because you know you don't know when when you'll be able to hunt next or the gathering might not go so well now eat as you can is just uh, you know leads to obesity and all that and I have the, I noticed this ratchet effect like. You know, if I get sick and I, I gain two pounds, but then I can never lose it, and so it only goes up and it doesn't go down unless I specifically try to do something to fix that. But I actually think the power of suggestion is still helps us because it's it helps us recall things faster that are more likely to come up, like things that we were doing recently. Un- until yeah. somebody tries to leverage against you uh, by serving you up with highly targeted Facebook ads. Uh, yeah. To, to to influence your your thoughts on uh, current events and politics, uh, so uh, ca- calling back to uh, come on that'll two never weeks ago's discussion. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, yeah, no, absolutely true. So okay. So what was it like to actually um, solve this? And then you know how would I have solved it if this didn't work? Um, so what I was doing was I actually narrowed down my. Uh, full search to the first two words. I kind of inferred where the space was. I um, I actually thought the space could be in a, a few places, but in one of the places that I tried, I saw that the first two words were coming out as call me, call my, tell me, tell my, tell it, call it. You know, it was trying those combinations. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. Let me try to plug these in and see what the last word ends up like because it actually defines the, the the last four letters of the last word are actually used, you know, in the previous two words. So um, whatever you use for the first two words um, kind of determines the last four letters, kind of determines what the last word is going to look like. And for most of these, when you plug it into the last word, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so, you know, when I started with the call me and, you know, saw that M-A, E-L at the end, all of a sudden it like clicked in my mind and I just got it. Awesome. So, yeah, so it's really, so it is really interesting how kind of, you know, the power of suggestion and the power of, you know, recent things that you've heard and context kind of came together to help me get it in the way that the computer couldn't. Um, So then that opens the question of like, how, if that, if I wasn't seeing it like that, how would I have... How would I have done right? Because my my initial reaction to that that telling of the story is that oh, this is a perfect example of where AI can't solve the problem on its own, and it needed a human at the wheel to to get to the right conclusion. Uh, it but, is. But I am is. sure that there is a way that uh, with without your human intervention, you could have improved the tool so that it could get there on its own. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think. Well, so so there's nothing used... about the, the, this that is an inherently you know can only be solved by a human problem, but it is. It sounds like there, with the human in the loop, you can get to that solution a lot faster. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's true for a lot of tasks, and it's going to be true, you know, for the foreseeable future. So I think you know what they say is the future is AI and humans working together, and I, you know, I'd have to agree, and I would actually feel a lot like the way I felt with this. 
you know, with this coding encoding problem. Um, but the way I would have improved it to get there, I mean, first of all, improve my language model, which means adding more text to it and also, you know, making it more sophisticated, like a bigram model or a trigram model or even something more sophisticated than that. Um, I, you know, after that, I, uh, I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> Maybe some more uh, brute search type stuff. Um, but it's, uh, it's an interesting problem. Maybe uh, somebody will email us, localmaxradio@gmail.com, if you know how to solve it quicker. Obviously, the shorter it is, this is kind of in the sweet spot. If it's really, really short, then there's a lot of brute force you can do. But like, imagine if it was only the first four letters, B-Y-P-P. There are so many different words it could be. It could be call. It could be tell. Um, it, um, it could be will, you know. And so... When, at some point, it gets so short that the answer isn't even going to be apparent to a human. It's like, you know, uh, imagine if all the letters are distinct. It's like, okay, like there's a lot of words out there. There are a lot of like five-letter words out there that where all the letters are distinct. Like could be any of them, you know? And so it really depends on the context of what you're trying to do. So I, I want to loop back to something you mentioned. You were talking about the, the, the future is is... Uh, you know, AI working with humans, uh, I, I forget exactly how you phrased it, but I, I think that's a great topic for, for some future more in-depth discussion, uh, because how that relationship looks like and what information gets shared with the human and what doesn't is, is a fascinating, both philosophical and technologically and technological capability question going forward. That I, I think there's there's a lot of interesting work being done there with with how do you make an AI that doesn't uh, conjure all of it, uh, our, our worst fears about Skynet and that type of thing, um, but but that still is is super powerful. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, a I'll, great. I'll, topic. I'll leave that for you to dive into at, at a later date. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe you could join me for that. I I think it's a great topic, and I think it's uh, a particularly great topic for this show. Now to end. Um, I was thinking about doing a contest with some of these decodings. Uh, did I mention this to you, I think? Yep. Right. And it would be a cryptocurrency contest where we send out an encoding. And then when you decode it, the private key of, say, a Bitcoin address comes out. And that's a really interesting idea. And I th- I'm going to think a little bit more about how to do that. Um, but the interesting thing about that idea is that once somebody decodes it and takes the money, uh, they, I would like them to come forward and they, they don't have to. So, uh, you know, we can't make them. So it, it's kind of interesting. It'll, it's kind of an interesting social experiment, too, to see if the person who takes it will uh, come forward. Well, and, even and not, I'm going to reveal you know, even, my, my lack of uh, knowledge depth when it comes to crypto. But uh, presumably you would be able to tell as soon as someone has, has moved that, that money even if yes. you couldn't tell who they were and where they moved it to. Right, right, exactly. And so they could either be silent, they could silently move it. I could be like, well, somebody won. I don't know who it is. Um, or it could be somebody who tells us who they are and how they did it. Or if they're not comfortable with that, I would hope it would be somebody who, you know, <laughs> comes, you know comes forward anonymously and says, yeah, I'm the one who did it. You know, here's that's also an interesting. How do you, there are ways to prove that you're the one that, that Wait, moved that, it? That, that was going to be my um, follow-up question: is yeah. how how difficult would it be for me to claim that I I had solved it once I know somebody's moved the money, 
is is there a way to verifiably prove that I am indeed the one that moved it? I, I, there is, there is. I don't know how to do that, but I can look into it. Uh, so you can verify you're the person who did it, and you can also come forward. I think maybe what I would do is if the person can come forward and verify that they're the person, then they get extra money. Maybe that's how it uh. works. Ah, that's a good that, that's a good idea. Thinking out loud, um, yeah. There were so, you know. I also had been suggested no, just have the person email you the the result, and then you know you can just send them the crypto after that. And it's like, well, then why don't we need crypto? I, I'll just send them cash or something <laughs> or gift card, you know, or you know, it kind of defeats the purpose, but. Uh, it's, it'll be an interesting way to experiment with this technology and also experiment with kind of these um, substitution encoding ideas that we've been uh, bouncing around, sort of, you know, help people learn about this stuff. So, so that's not officially launched yet, but you're working on, on the details and it will be announced at a input. future date. Yeah, definitely looking for input on, on how to do that. Well, I, I guess the other thing that goes hand in hand with being anonymous is uh, how, how do you ensure that I don't break the code and take the money. Give, I'm not telling you. <laughs> it's very that simple. Well, because if, if it's anonymous, you'd never know it was me. It could just be me taking back. I don't know why I would do that, but <laughs> yes, yes, it, it could be. All right. I think that's it. Thanks for stopping by. Always a pleasure. And I, I look forward to uh, our, our next intriguing conversation. Okay. Now we get into listener questions. Now, if you have a question, you can email localmaxradio at gmail.com and I will either, well, I'll respond to you and maybe I will answer it on the show if it's a particularly interesting question. Now, this one was a question for Dennis Crowley that didn't get here in time, but uh, it's something that I could answer. It's Balaji writes, MarsBot is a particularly interesting offering from Foursquare, and I am waiting to see what it learns from where I go. Do you see a lot of users who are adverse to sharing their location publicly via check-ins on Swarm embracing this, or is there a strong overlap between users of Swarm and MarsBot? Uh, so first, a slight correction. In Swarm, you don't share your location publicly, only with your friends on Swarm. And those are different from your Facebook friends. And most people choose a smaller group of people than on Facebook. But same question. Uh, so what's happening in MarsBot? Let's just review a little from the last episode. MarsBot is an app from Foursquare that I worked on with Dennis, our last guest, and a few other people at Foursquare. And uh, it's a bot that sends you text messages. The cool thing about it is that you don't have to send it messages. You don't have to remember, oh, let me text my bot. You know, nobody's going to remember that with a lot of these bots coming out. It just knows when to send you messages. So you walk into a restaurant, it'll tell you what to order. You go to a museum, it'll tell you what exhibit to go see, if it's working particularly well that day. Uh, you go to a movie, after two hours, as the movie is ending, it'll tell you something that you can do after the movie. And it also notices some things about you. So uh, do you like to go to coffee shops a lot? Do you hang out in one particular neighborhood? All of this is made possible by Foursquare's location technology. And in fact, MarsBot was built to showcase Foursquare's location technology and to show the world what we think these intelligent agents could be like. And uh, it's not, you know, there's no advertising. There's It's just a pure functional app. It's purely about 
getting the best recommendations to you possible in the delivering them in a new and innovative way. That's the only thing we thought about the whole time. Now, one of the things I, I love about MarsBot, and this is one of those things that's sort of something we thought about while building it, kind of, but it really popped out perfectly, is that MarsBot tells you exactly what it's learning about you. You can open the app at any time, and it's got a notebook. And in that notebook is all of the intelligence it's gathered and then plus you have all the text you got. So if you want to get a sense of how Foursquare's technology works and also have a lot of fun while doing it with little effort, just download MarsBot. That's the way to go. And then, you know, after a few months, you'll have a pretty good understanding of what Foursquare's technology does. Now, in the question is kind of about, you know, what what's the difference between the audience in Swarm and Foursquare? Is, is it a group of people who don't like sharing as the people who, who do in Swarm. I actually think that the audience of um, MarsBot, uh, because this is an experimental product, I think that a lot of people similar to the ones who used early Foursquare are the ones who are using MarsBot. I, I think in many cases, the same people who downloaded early Foursquare in 2009 are, are using MarsBot. It's the early adopters. It's the people who want to get a taste of new technology and maybe use that technology to get some ideas on their own. So I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of crossover from Swarm. I think the people who are, you know, maybe not into the whole check an idea from Swarm, they could like MarsBot, but I think it's it's really the the early adopters that are are interested in it. Okay, so now I mentioned earlier that I found some podcasts that I like in a sea of crap, and I want to share with you some of the podcasts that I found that I like uh, so that you can uh, check them out too. So I'm, I think I'm going to do this regularly. I'm going to mention them at the end of the show. One is Tech 2025 with Charlie Oliver. She does a really great job interviewing people who work in different fields and are trying to be on the cutting edge. I think her podcast would appeal to the people who listen to this podcast, The Local Maximum, and it covers a lot of the same issues. She has uh, a slightly different background from me, including uh, law and media versus you know engineering on my end. But uh, we're both interested in entrepreneurship. We're both interested in creating things and uh, and in interviewing people with with really interesting things to say about new technology. And I learned a lot from a recent episode on self-driving trucks. So definitely check that out and keep your suggestions coming in. Uh, you know. I can make this a regular thing again, as I said. All right. So that is our show for today. As always, look for my blog post with show notes and head to localmaxradio.com for SoundCloud. Have a great week. That's the show. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you want to keep up, remember to follow The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at MaxClock. Have a great week. Feel the power. I don't care what you say. You're going to see me shine.